Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 203 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today we'll be recapping this weekend's fights, discussing Nate Diaz's latest scuffle, Aljamain Sterling's comments to Henry Cejudo, and more. Victor, we had, like, the most packed weekend of fights. How many of the cards were you able to consume? I was only able to see a few select Bellator highlights and the entirety of the UFC uh, event, along with uh, Paul versus Silva. Okay. That was that was I mean that was a lot, you know. I mean it, it's hours and hours. Although I did have the benefit of um, not watching live because, good God, that's for the birds. You know, if you can avoid it, trust me, it's fun. Um, yeah, I get to skip through all the fluff. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and jump right into our breakdowns here. And boy, oh boy, that main event really, really sucked. Only because Calvin Cater had that unfortunate injury. And judging by what a lot of people replied to me, fighters and pundits and just fans alike, everybody seems to agree that it's probably the ACL. And I tend to agree based on Patrick Cote telling me that because he had a similar injury that mm. plagued him. Uh, what did you think of the fight? Because I kind of saw Arnold Allen, he wasn't running away with it, but I think he was getting the better end of the deal before the injury. No, he was certainly looking a lot better uh, early on. I mean, maybe uh, Cater just hadn't uh, found his rhythm yet or, uh, you know, just hadn't really gotten out of first gear. But, you know, we'll never really know, unfortunately. And that was the breaks. You know, these things happen in, 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 in any aspect of the fight game. You know, the dude just uh, – it's not his fault that, that his body, you know, had that happen. And, I mean, it's it's similar to what happened earlier in the night with Phil Hawes. I don't doubt that he probably has some sort of ligament damage after what happened to him, but I'm sure we're going to get to that later on. Um, I, yeah, it, it just it's terrible because you look at the fact that this matchup could likely set up the next contender at featherweight, although the champion does have some other stuff on his plate, but. Yeah, man, it's a shame. And, and Allen still was looking fresh and looking great. And the, I guess the biggest plus I can think of coming out of that is that at least Allen can be capable of having a quick turnaround and having another bout fairly soon. Yeah, for sure. I feel bad for Cater. He's had some bad luck because I think that split decision with Josh Emmett should have gone to Cater. Mm, yeah, probably. Honest, it just feels like his luck has been miserable. First, he runs into Max. He recovers from Max with the Chikadze win. Then he meets up with Josh Emmett. He loses that split, even though I felt like he won. I just think his his run has been miserable. I feel bad for him. I hope that uh, whatever happened to his knee isn't too terribly serious. So yeah, get back uh, to business. I really hope it's one of those things that doesn't require surgery more than anything, because that's even more time on the mm -hmm. shelf. But whatever it is, as long as it's a um, as long as it's a speedy recovery and it's something that doesn't affect his overall 
you know, athletic life and his personal life. Yeah. And that's really all you can ask for. For sure. Now we get to the co-main event, Max Griffin defeating Tim Means via split decision. I think we have seen Max Griffin's ceiling and his ceiling seems to be a past his prime Tim Means. I wasn't very thrilled with this. It was a meh fight, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I mean, what more is there to say on my part? Vic, how did you see this one? Yeah, I, I, there wasn't much to think of at this. I mean, it, it was just kind of what it was, you know. Griffin, very talented athlete, uh, very uh, clearly someone that works very hard at his craft, but we all have our ceilings in different arenas in life. And I kind of feel like that might be the end of it, you know. I kind of feel like that's – unless there – look, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he's incapable of any growth, whatsoever there are wrinkles he could add to his game i don't know if this is a product of his training environment or what but i don't know i, I it, a win is a win sometimes but this just didn't really feel like there was any sort of statement made um, i didn't really see any sort of improvement on a larger scale and it just kind of was what it was it was just there and that's a shame because you want to see a fighter with a win hopefully you know move on to better things right i don't know if that's really what's going to happen I and mean, this could most likely at best keep him into something of a holding pattern yeah he's definitely only making lateral movement right now and probably yeah. should only make lateral movement because he seems stuck in a pattern where that this is the level of guy that he can be but it's always a struggle to get it done You know, he has tons of decisions and splits. And, I mean, it's always a massive struggle no matter who he's fighting. I don't know if it's he's fighting down or he's really struggling to, you know, get it done. I could be. It could be a combination of them, Mm -hmm. really. I'm not, you know, I don't really know how else... uh what other direction this can go for him. So just, you know, and and I want to see the guy do well. Look, I'm not... Look, I, I know that... I can speak for both of us when I say that neither one of us is trying to dog him or anything like that. This is just a matter of like, damn, dude, you know, what, what's what's going on? You know, how does how do we make this? How do we see more and better from someone like him? And I don't really know what the answer is right now. Yeah. Now, we didn't pick this fight, but I have to address it. Sean Gore and Josh Fremd. Oh, oh my God. God. Wow. That was an insane sequence. And Josh Fremd, I hope he is seeing a neck specialist, a neurospecialist, because that guy's neck was all sort of hyperextended. Jesus Christ. What a sequence. Yeah, he's going to have to like... He's going to have to sleep in some new positions or something like that, man. You know, the, the, the freakish thing about it was to see him, to see Gore lift him off the ground. He yes. looked like he was laying flat for a split second in midair, mind you, as if it were Mandrake the Magician or something. I, I don't know what, you know, the, the, the only other caption that I could think of that, that I haven't done for that one is ta-da, because God damn, it's... Oh, oh, yeah. No, I mean, look, well-earned victory, though. Well, that was the, the the much respect to friend for hanging in for as long as he did. But, oh, man, that cannot be feeling good for the next few weeks. Right. Mm-mm. Then we get to Khalil Roundtree taking a split over Dustin Jacoby. I only watched this in bits and pieces. I was 
was preoccupied a little bit. So I didn't watch it as I should. But what I took from it was that maybe Khalil Roundtree shouldn't have taken the decision. I have not given it a second watch yet. So I'm not sure if my opinion should stick here. So I'm going to defer to you. I I don't... Okay. I, I don't disagree. Uh, it, I, I kind of felt that... Uh, you know, going into the decision, I'm like, eh, well, you know, Jacoby probably got it, you know, because I saw that Khalil was kind of slowing down. Uh, volume didn't seem like it was there, but he got the decision and I see the case for it. It's just not the way that I expected it to go, mm. you know, and that's kind of where I was just surprised. Like, oh, this is another one that I might have to rewatch because you too. Mm. huh? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I need to rewatch this because I, I sort of had it for Dustin. But again, I wasn't fully invested in that fight. But no. I'll tell you a fight I was fully invested in. And that is Roman Delize beating mm. the brakes off Phil Hawes. Now, you had started to go into it. So I'm going to turn it over to you and let you describe this little bit. Because I feel like Tan Dan dropped the goddamn ball. Okay, first off, much respect to Hawes for that early dodge that he had when Deliza went for that head kick. That was beautiful. Uh, somebody already compared it to Anderson Silva, which is a very apt comparison, I'd say. Mm. Um, after that, man, Deliza got him in the leg lock, and that leg went in a direction that it should <laughs> not go. Legs do not bend in that direction. But it did, and so when the... Expected thing would be, hey, maybe at this point the fight should be stopped or a doctor should check it. Maybe this is over. No, actually, uh, Dan just sort of let them stand up. I'm not sure how you let that happen because now Roman, who had worked hard for that position, loses it. Phil ends up with his leg greatly damaged, but there's no submission. You didn't give these guys the opportunity. You interfered in that moment. And and ruined, essentially, the ending of that. And now what does it lead to? It leads to an extended exchange standing in which Hawes does not stand in a proper manner. Now he's defensively compromised in an even worse fashion. And then he eats more punches and goes to sleep. So great. Now he's got a bum leg and a concussion. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's one thing for you to flub something, make a mistake on one front. But then it's like now it led to this. I, I just – I don't know what to tell you, man. Sometimes Dan is great. Sometimes he is asleep at the wheel. And when he is, it's so notable because it's so devastating. It's always something like this. And I really hate when that happens. For sure. Now, we didn't pick this next fight either, but it bears note that Andre Arlovsky got submitted for the second time in his career. Rear naked choke again. First round again. Um, Marcos Rogerio de Lima went in there with a plan. And I don't know if that's because Andre has finally, uh, started to deteriorate to the point where he can't even compete with the Marcos Rogerio de Lima's or if Marcos Rogerio de Lima is just a damn badass. And it could be a, like you said earlier, it could be a combination of both <laughs> because Andre has racked up four wins in between that last submission loss in this one however a couple of those jake collier jared vandera could be argued that maybe he didn't win them they well the, both of them went to split and both were kind of contentious so how'd you see it i i i'm glad you brought in the uh the callback to the previous thing that i'd said <laughs> because i felt exactly the same here on this one uh i really do think it was a the combination of the two things you know it's a fact that he is 
Arlovsky is going in there against guys that have him figured out. They've seen him fight. They know what he's about. They know how to drop him. His chin has never really been that great. And when his defense is also not great, then it just, nope, not a good combination. And he got dropped. And he got dropped bad. Now, he was able to recover fairly quickly, but it didn't mean much because DeLima was immediately on top of him. Um, he got in a better position, and then he ended up smothering, took the back, and he got the choke in a bit of a sloppy way, but he got it nonetheless. Is what it is. I mean, it's what happens when you're old. It's what happens when you're in a bad division. The days of thinking maybe Arlovsky might have turned back the clock. You know, if you if you were thinking that that was still a thing, buddy, you haven't really been paying attention. You know, some of the wins that he's had have been okay, but they've been against not great opposition because, frankly, heavyweight, not a good division, not much depth. And, you know, as the, Arlovsky's been a good litmus test for some of these dudes coming up. Uh, this, I guess, exemplifies exactly why. And, uh, you know, DeLima, I suspect, will get a pretty considerable step up here after that. And and Arlovsky will probably fight out the rest of his contract. And good for him for getting paid thick stacks compared to where he could be in his career right now. But, eh, what it is. I hate to see someone like Andre Arlovsky, who is pretty much a living legend, become a journeyman though because that put him at 34 and 21 yeah yeah it's it's messed up when you're when you're when you're deep in double digits like that and you're and you're almost at 500 um that's that's tough man that's tough because brain damage notwithstanding um that's you know there's there's a lot of mileage and a lot of effort and a lot of energy going in there and i don't i it just it's not a it you from such great heights to this yeah i don't know Now, we didn't pick these couple of fights that I'm going to mention, but I think they bear mentioning Chase Hooper getting the brakes beat off of him. Oh, God. 92 seconds flat. Listen, Chase Hooper is young. Let him rack up some wins on the regional circuit before you put him in here where everybody, even the dogs, are still killers. Chase Hooper is not ready for the UFC, in my personal opinion. Victor? Here, once again, you remember what I said a a couple of months ago? I said this about Contender Series, and you laughed at it. I mean, because it's unfortunate, but it's true. What did I say about Contender Series? What did I say the tagline for the show should be? Oh, who who crushes the can crushers? Exactly. That is your answer right there. That is what you are staring dead in the face when you have this. And this is the part. This is what pisses me off. I've been watching Steve Garcia fighting in Bellator for years. I've seen how this guy can box. I've seen what his jujitsu looks like. I've seen that this guy's got experience and seasoning. And he might not be championship material, at least not in the immediate foreseeable future. But that guy, he's pretty damn good. And you're going to feed this kid. This kid who beat a couple of people on the regional scene, good for him, gets on a contender series because the major attraction is not so much the quality of the opponent that you face, but the quality of finish you deliver for the overlords at ESPN. That's the move. Okay, when you see Dana White going out there with the thumbs up, thumbs down, like he's Shao Kahn or some shit, this is what what it's all about. It is about delivering finishes. Whoever is the most impressive finisher wins, and that ethos has been shown time and time again. Have they gotten more lax with that in order to fill up the roster with more replaceable or easily replaceable talent that will be readily uh, willing and able to sign a contract that that is on the far lower end and allow them to suff uh, cards like this with that kind of talent? Absolutely. That's why you're seeing more and more contender guys filling this thing 
until it's chock full on these fight night events. That is the purpose, and that's what Chase Hooper did. That's what they did to him. Not with him, to him. You don't put a guy like that against a guy like this. It doesn't work. And all you're going to do is make the kid suffer because what? how do you rebound from this? Right. Where do you scale from that? What do you do and how do you draw this out? Because now, let's say you put him back on the regionals. Well, you know that's going to – you know how these fighters are, are – are, what does this do to his growth and his development? What does this do to his mindset? So you threw him in there, you chewed him up, and now you spat him back out into the gutter? Is that what you're going to do? Or maybe you could have done, as I've insisted they do with other fighters, give this kid who has the potential to be a breakout star, you give him the Sage Northcutt Avenue. You let him feast on the lower dredges of the division. He's doing you a favor. He's delivering highlight knockouts or submissions giving you some memorable performances and fights, get some seasoning, gets the ring time that's necessary, cage time necessary, and he's also able to weed out some of the guys that you'd rather not have around. But no, they give him to Steve Garcia. And what does he do? He puts it on him and he leaves him with a thing down his face to look like a rash. When's the last time you see somebody's face get busted up like that, in that fashion, looking like a season side of ham? They have been given him lower tier competition. And... Those are the only ones that he's beating. Felipe Colores, Peter Barrett, Daniel Tamer. But you give him Alex Caceres, or Caceres, excuse me. You give him Steven Peterson. You give him Steve Garcia. He cannot rise to the occasion. No, no, he cannot. So maybe regionals or maybe, as you suggest, keep giving him the Felipe Colores. But there's... You know, how many of those are there for him to go through? And how how do you progress him? When do you advance him? That's the I, thing. Yeah, he has yeah. these wins, um, but, you know, he's not consistent at all. I don't know if it's the camp or that he just needs, as you call it, seasoning. But Chase Hooper needs something. Now, the last yeah. fight that I want to talk about is Cody Durden and Carlos Mota. And the reason why I want to talk about it is because we are both fans of Carlos Mota from LFA. He was the LFA champion over there. But he gets the call-up very late, you know, because he's a replacement. And the call-up happened just a few days before the fight. So he's flying over. He has to cut 20-plus pounds on the flight over. But you cannot attribute, and I need to point this out, you cannot attribute that performance to the weight cut he has very little takedown defense and against a wrestling heavy cody durden i don't care if he's racist or not we're just <laughs> examining the fight itself cody durden had a good game plan and excellent wrestling and he worked carlos moda over and the mm. other thing about moda that bothered me too was how very timid he was just content to not throw shit i mean between the two of them i think um 160 punches were thrown between the two not 160 significant we're talking total this mm -hmm. is 125 where they're like terriers where they go hell for leather for three rounds and the numbers are normally like 300 between two not 160 anyways Carlos Mota, if they do give you another chance, I hope maybe the, the shell shock, the stage fright, whatever, uh, has worn off. If that was the case, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt there. But I hope you do some refining to your game and, and, and get your takedown defense in order. Yeah, I, I did feel bad that he had that... Uh... You know, when you see a last minute guy going in there against a kind of buzzsaw wrestler and then, you know, what bothered me most is that Mota's jiu-jitsu 
is supposed to be pretty damn good, but I didn't see him getting any traction. And I'm sure that a lot of that has to do with the control that Durden had on top and all that. Like, it just, it, it, it kind of, it was, you know, when you see someone that's talented like that and you're like, all right, cool. Good to see him get a shot at the big show. And then it's like, yeah, he kind of didn't go out great. You know, you, you, you do feel a little bad and you have questions as to how that took place. So I'm sure he'll get a thank you as a, in the form of another fight right. at some point, I, I'd hope, but you I never know what that looks like. Yeah. Sometimes they're pretty ruthless and one and done, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, there is one last fight we're going to talk about, and that is Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva. Now, I saw a lot of people crying robbery. I saw a lot of people crying rigged, this, that, and the other. I didn't see it that way. I thought Jake Paul won, legitimately. Now, I'm not going to say it was some runaway, but the one thing that I took away from this, it was a great fight. I enjoyed the fight. It was a good, solid fight. Anderson did not look terrible in there. He didn't look bad. As a matter of fact, he looked damn good in there. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have gotten a little less of the showboating, but I realized that's Anderson baiting his opponent. But still, I feel like he gave up some moments because of that. The The knockdown in the eighth round, I like that he got right up and continued. I have respect for Jake for being able to do that in the eighth round. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that he had it in him, but you know what? Jake has proven me wrong athletically. I'm not talking about uh, his social presence or anything other than his physical skill. And he has skill and it's clear that he trains and it's clear that he has good power. That right hand is money. That's yeah. I need to see him fight a boxer. I, I don't want to see him fighting washed up. MMA fighters anymore, even though Anderson did put on a good performance. I need to see him. If we're to take him legitimately as a boxer, I need to see him against a boxer um, and not Canelo. My God, I'm not trying to see a freaking murder. <laughs> Victor, let's get you take. You know, you know, what was cool to me is that I'm watching this and I'm thinking like, yo, Anderson isn't just after the first round, you know, he really started putting it on him. And the only thing that Jake could do was clinch up to stop, you know, like the Richard Pryor joke about how his dad punched him in the chest. You remember that one? Mm-hmm. He clinches to his yeah. chest up real hard to keep the fist there just so he could stop whooping my ass. Like that's your only defense is just to hug up to the guy. Because once Anderson realized, hey, if I get in this guy's face, he doesn't have much. So he kept going for it and going for it. And I felt like, all right, he's going to run away with it. And clearly, you know, he did seem to run out of steam near the end. He did get dropped in the final round. Um, I was I could not take off my MMA goggles. I just kept seeing damage. I just kept seeing, you know, the the, the forward movement and the pressure. And I'm thinking that Anderson was probably going to take it. And even, um, you know, with, with the drop in the end, it would probably be a split, you know, but I kind of felt like, okay, I guess Anderson takes it. But, you know, look, I'm not used to boxing. I'm not used to boxing scoring. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was disappointing to see the bad guy do it again. But, um, you know, it was what it was, and, and he certainly managed to get a more probably than he expected out of Anderson, who, again, he did what we had hoped. 
He didn't look bad. Nope. He didn't embarrass himself. Nope. He put on he put on some extraordinary moments. I was uh, really happy to see him with Luis Dorea in his corner, who was the former, or I believe still, boxing coach for Junior dos Santos in Brazil, who brought him to prominence, um, pretty much with his hands uh, as 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 in his formative periods in, in the sport. So, um, you know, be, seeing that and, and seeing him with his coaches and look. The guy, he got a bag. He looked great. He can go on and do other things. He didn't take too much damage. Despite getting dropped, it's not like he got knocked out. He didn't get scrambled. Um, nobody's talking about or thinking about the mishap with the commission and whether or not he, uh, you know, the the, the 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 snafu of like, oh, well, did he say knocked down or knocked out? No one's talking about that because now nobody cares. He doesn't have to box for a while if he doesn't feel like it. He can go off and have fun and be Anderson. It's normal. And I'm I'm really happy that things turned out at least. If he was going to lose, that it was at least like this. Yeah, it was a good victory. I mean, nobody lost anything in that fight at all. Yeah. Yeah. So another event happened. Victor, you've got the first story. Give us the lowdown on Nate Diaz. Well, you know, uh, here's the thing. He's probably the only guy who, even in this situation, didn't lose at all because nobody lost last night, right? So it turns out that in true Diaz uh, fashion, controversy was soon to follow wherever Nate walked. And yeah, that's kind of what ended up happening. There was a backstage scuffle uh, that immediately made uh, its way through social media. And there's been a bit of a slow drip of the... um, altercations Nate Diaz had to do pretty much like um uh, what, what would be what would be the proper term you know like when you see the rock in the movie and he does the rock bottom that's his signature move well guess what somebody got slapped in the mouth because <laughs> because <laughs> Nate Diaz is not about that bullshit he ended up getting kicked out by the police he ended up uh, being threatened with arrest and uh, Paul, of course, handled this in typical Paul fashion. And of course, I, that would imply that he took to social media and talked about this. Um, actually, not social media. I'm sorry. In an interview, uh, talked about this essentially like his audience of 12 year olds. Quote, I want Nate Diaz, who's a bitch. He tried to come into my locker room. He tried to cause some shit. And then he always leaves the fucking arena. So Nate Diaz, stop being a bitch and fight me. Okay, number one, this fight was in Arizona, okay? Let's be real. What the hell else is there to do in Arizona? The guy went in there. He slapped somebody. He smoked some weed and he left. What do you want from him? What do you want him to get? He's a, he's a Mexican-American guy in Arizona. You want him to get hunted down? No. He's got to leave. That's what it is. That's what you do after dark in Arizona. I know people that live there. Number two. Yeah, I mean, I guess if this is what we're going towards, I mean, sure. I'm sure that Nate was angling for the big money. That's why he wanted his release. That's why he's been hinting at fighting either one of the Paul brothers, especially Jake, who's the, of course, uh, better of the two so far and the more successful. Um, Yeah, I guess this is just yet another complex form of bravado that can be easily parlayed into branding and hype and uh, form of promotion as well. I don't really know that this is I'm not going to sit here and say that this is all a cynical ploy for money, because I really do think that Nate is about that life. I'm sure that he probably went back there. You know what? I'm not afraid of that guy. Let's go out there. And if I see him, he's going to get smacked up. You know, I don't doubt that that's kind of the thing that he would do, because let's face it, Paul's not a great guy either. It's not like you have to root for either one of these guys as is. Um, Steffi, what did you make of this whole deal and how Paul handled it? I Do you agree with me that it was a bit of weak sauce coming out of it? And should this, in fact, put Nate at the front of the line, prioritized over any sort of uh, reaching out to Canelo? Oh, yes. He said Nate 
always leaves, but Nate was forced to leave. He didn't just get up and walk out or anything like that. Another point to mention is that I believe the person he slapped was Jake Paul's father. <laughs> I saw, I saw a few reports that that was his father that oh my Nate God. slapped, which is even funnier to me. <laughs> it kind of is, yeah. <laughs> Jake should thank Nate because he added an element here that gave him the perfect call out and set up his next fight. That's really going to be the biggest fight for him. Canelo wouldn't even look in his direction and he doesn't need to for the pennies, the nickels and dimes that Jake can possibly offer him. I I don't really see that Canelo gains much other than a big payday. And does he need that payday? He wouldn't get the kind of payday that he normally gets, though. Canelo can command $50 There's no way Jake could pay that. He's not in a position to do that. And further, Canelo wouldn't do it. He's already poo-pooed that idea several times. (laughs) I just think that Nate did him a solid by creating all that ruckus. Because now... There's a lot of buzz around a fight with Nate and Jake. And you know what? They can both make a lot of money off of it. But Jake's kind of dumb for calling him a bitch and saying that he left and this and that. But he's playing the game, too. That's the only way he knows to respond. He's not a guy who's quick on his feet with responses. (laughs) He's not a witty guy. He's not not the most articulate cat out there. Like, of course, of course, this is what he's going to say. I mean, that's just, in fact, he should be, like you said, right? He should be grateful that Nate not only showed up, because that already stirred enough hype, Mm -hmm. but that this whole thing happened. Now everything's baked in. Now you kind of are in a bit of a position where you have to address Nate and you have to address the possibility of fighting Nate because, hey, all Nate has. He gave him the he did he did give him the the official call out he did no no in, yeah in but I'm saying that, that, that Nate but that helped was later I'm saying that Nate helped force the hand even further oh, on sure. that front by doing that and in the end uh, you know now it's like okay this this is this is going to be much more of a priority because you have the volatility of Nate and the fan perception that okay wait a minute this can happen and you got the big rub of Nate with his popularity the numbers that he can attract the audience that he can bring in that's that's a big part of this whole deal too if anything Jake should be sending Nate a basket of edible arrangements and <laughs> if he won't do that he can send some edible arrangements to me (laughs) now uh one thing that should be noted here is that when nate got there luke thomas shot a photo of nate being absolutely mobbed when he arrived at the arena Mm. and i mean victor it looks like a thousand people around him i mean you can't they're they're so crammed together you can't differentiate between one person and the next they're so packed in around him It's Mm. insane. So Jake should thank him because by virtue of Nate doing all that stuff, the fight is already set up for him and it's going to make money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Our next news topic is near and dear to my heart. And I know it will be to Victor's too, because we constantly rail against the guys that go out there and don't call anybody out and further get on there and preach the whole entire time they're on the mic. <laughs> and Alan Joban sympathizes with Benil Dariush after he earned an eighth straight win and in dominant fashion because he ran right through Mateus Gamrot. Mm. But he, he sympathizes with them because now 
He's not going to get that next title shot because Alexander Volkanovsky is. Even though he sympathizes with him, he sort of blames him at the same time. And I do too. And Alan Joban makes a ton of sense. Now, he was talking with Damon Martin on the Fighter versus the Writer. That's Damon's podcast. Mm-hmm. And he told Damon this, and I'm going to quote directly. And it's going to be a long, I'm just going to run through the whole thing because he makes so much sense with every single thing he says. So here goes. I was telling everyone, I was in Bristol at ESPN, and Benil was winning the fight, and I go, Benil wins this fight, he had better take that hot mic and call out a title shot. It better not go to, thank you, Lord, Savior Jesus Christ, thank you to my coach, thank you to my wife, and it ends there. He does that, he's shooting himself in the foot. Sure enough, he wins the fight, and all he did was, and I don't want religious people to get mad at me, but you know what I'm getting at. You thank God and then you move on. You can't make the whole thing about religion and family and whoever's next. I'm happy with it. No. If you want the title shot, you have to say, I want that belt and I'm next in line. I'm on the same card. Whoever wins tonight between Islam and Oliveira, I'm in line next. You have to make a soundbite for the UFC to promote this fight. But if they have nothing to promote a possible matchup, How are they going to make that matchup? He shot himself in the foot. His name doesn't even jump to mind like Benil Darius is killing it unless you're an enthusiast. But for the general fan base, they don't know who Benil is. And if he had, if he would have said something, it would have helped him. And it bugs me because this is one of the things when young fighters ask me for advice, this is the advice I give them because this is what I would have changed about myself. I was always in war mode when I go into fights and then I'd get interviewed and I would be honest, but I wouldn't call for the shot. I wouldn't take my personality and dial it up and say, I want a top five guy. I want to fight the champ, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if you're number 15 and you're calling for number one, it puts you in the conversation. It makes people think. Now, to his credit, Dariush has stayed genuine to his personality without attempting to goad opponents into fights by making outlandish statements for the sake of creating headlines. But Jovan understands that, and he had this to say. Benil definitely deserves the shot. After taking out everyone that he's taken out, he deserves the shot. Benil just needs a better PR team. Somebody behind him needs to get behind him. Because everybody who's ever met Benil will say the same thing. Greatest dude ever. I've met him. I've rolled with him. Such a down-to-earth, likable, cool person. He will roll with you, show you stuff while you're training. A solid dude. He's too nice. The fight game doesn't like nice people. You have to demand something. You have to call something out. You have to make a soundbite. I wish Benio would have done more to call his shot and make it enticing. And not only did he not call out the champ, he didn't call out anyone above him or anyone at all. He didn't make a single call out. He thanked the people who helped him and he walked away very humble. And as much as I love Benio, somebody has got to say, look, this is a business decision. If you make the right call out, we get the title fight. He's got to change it. He's going to do a Tony Ferguson where he fights all the way to the top and he has an off night and somebody beats him 
And then he's all the way back down the ladder, mm. never getting a shot again because he's never going on a nine fight win streak again. He's got to make a smart decision now. And that's the end of the quote. All of that was Alan Joban's thoughts basically being channeled through me and Victor's brain. I can't even add anything to it. He made every single point perfectly. Victor. There was an interview. I can't remember who he fought, but Vander Holyfield, after a fight, Jim Gray's standing there in the ring with him. He asked him, you know, what did you expect from your opponent? His goal expected. And he goes in there and he wants to thank his Lord Jesus Christ because through Christ all things are possible. And he wants to thank God and praise God and all that. And then, okay, so, uh, you know, what did your preparation look like? Oh, I want to thank Jesus Christ. Okay, listen, buddy. I understand this is something that's very near and dear to you, and uh, there's, uh, you know, I, there's there's nothing wrong with expressing your devotion and your faith. If you're not harming anyone or desiring anything against anyone, like you're fine. Really, that's just like the base parameter for anything you are going to say after a fight in terms of, you know, just 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 basic, you know, basic manners and consideration. I would also like to point you to what. Krokop did prior to fighting Fedor and challenging for the Pride heavyweight title back in the day. He took the microphone. He very respectfully said, I would love to humbly request that I fight the uh, heavyweight champion, Emilianenko Fedor. And he just, and he, and he looked at the guy and he waved to him, you know, and kind of like did a bit of a head nod in a respectful manner. And you know what, man? You can find middle ground here mm-hmm. between those two things. You can, you can express your devotion and your faith. No one's taking that away from you. Do that by all means. You're not hurting anybody. My rights begin, or my, your rights end where mine begin. But you're not causing any harm. You're fine. It's okay. But at the same time, you do have to think about the possibility or the potential for upward mobility because you can't tell me that this win streak that Darius is on isn't frustrating to him to see him still in a position where he's not being spoken about in terms of being in title contention. That has to get to him at some point. I mean, no matter how patient you are, you do start thinking, hey, is it going to be my turn yet? Am I going to be able to make this happen? I mean, am I going to be able to secure a better future for my family and establish a legacy? I'm sure one of those two elements are important to him. Um, and and they're both hinging exactly on that, on him doing more and, and, and moving further up the ladder. And yet, it's the hype aspect of the fight game that a lot of fighters miss, and this is where you end up suffering. And, you know, Alan, I, I'm, I'm more than anything grateful, not so much just what he said, but the manner in which he said it, because he was very respectful in his tone and his way of laying this case out as well. He didn't say, hey, cut the religious stuff. No, 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 no. Don't, don't do that, because let's, let's be honest. Look, even a non-religious person like myself – let it out there. You, hey, you're not badgering me to join your club. I'm not badgering you to join mine. It's fine. It's all groovy. But at the same time, man, make a little bit of room. Make a little bit of room to say, hey, man, you know, it'd be a really good fight. Me and this other guy, I think we match up well. I think we're both potentially next in line. I'd love to see it happen. And if he's around, man, hey, no disrespect, but you and me, man, let's do it. We already know you're a great guy. You don't have to play the bad guy. You don't have to stretch this thing and try to be some sort of villain, you know, put on some villain persona that clearly is not within you in order to rack up some more likes on Twitter. It's not something that you have to do, but you can at least do something. And I think that's really what the heart of, of, of Alan's uh, argument was. And, and I'm glad that he uh, framed it in the manner in which he did. I hope that Benil, um understands that and and doesn't misinterpret this as some form of uh, attack or or some sort of jab at him because i mean clearly uh, you know alan was i think 
made a very good effort of explaining that in a proper context. Also, uh, he could take a note from Arnold Allen because Arnold Allen is very, very shy on the mic. But when pressed, this is what happened last night. And it was so funny because Aaron Bronstetter pointed out something that made a ton of sense to me. But when Mike Bisping asked Arnold Allen what he wanted next, Arnold was very forthright. He said, I would like to fight for an interim belt because Volkanovsky appears to be busy. And that was perfect. But Mike pressed him a little more and he put him on the spot. And it was so funny because Mike said, well, who would you like to fight for that interim belt? And he sat there and he, you could see the, the, the equations, the calculations going through his brain like, oh, my God, who am I calling out? And he said, well, uh, uh, I guess Volkanovsky. So he defers back to Volkanovsky, even though he knows that he's busy because and Aaron was astute with this. Aaron says it seems like he couldn't remember anybody's name. No God. And that makes a ton of sense to me. But even though he couldn't remember anybody's name, you know what he did do? He went ahead and called out Volkanovsky. <laughs> he, yeah. did, he took your advice. He did something. He did something. That's right. He did so, and and it's ballsy too. Because I mean, look at Volko, a man who's looking indestructible mm. right now. Yep. A man who's potentially in line to fight for a second belt, and and you're out here going like, yeah, so what? You know what? I'll take him. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 a statement, and that's cool, man. And and I just, you know, I, I really, again, I really hope that Benil uh, takes this to heart and, and doesn't, uh, you know, maybe change just changes his mind a little bit in in terms of looking at this from that perspective. But, Daniel you know, here's what it is. embrace the idea that the UFC is not a meritocracy. That's the yeah. problem. Benil feels that his accomplishments will speak for him, and that is mm. not how the UFC works. Uh, I remember those days, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> we all thought that. Yeah. But, Victor, we've been talking about title contenders. Tell us what's going on with Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo, because I'm dying to know. Well, you know, it turns out that Cejudo's been running his mouth because, of course, he uh, left the uh, the bantamweight division, but yet has not uh, been quiet. He's keeping his mouth going. He has continually been uh, just out there, continuing with the cringe and making vague uh, allusions to returning, but never quite making it happen. And he's now demanding that he get a title shot against Aljamain Sterling. Well, Sterling was asked precisely about that after his recent win and um yeah this is a good this this was fun this was actually pretty entertaining i just i, I could imagine sterling's face as he said it quote i'm not fighting until mid next year <laughs> so i don't know what anybody's talking about you're gonna need to move me to get back into a training camp so good luck with that i earned my time off so henry can go kick rocks let me ask you are you excited to see Sterling versus Cejudo? Are you most excited about that matchup for the next title shot at 135? Is that the biggest fight for you as a fan of the sport? I want the biggest fight because I get pay-per-view points. The moment I lose the belt, I don't get pay-per-view points. So I want the biggest fight. And if it's Cejudo, I'd gladly oblige. But I don't think it's him. I really don't. I feel – I even feel like people would be more excited to see me fight Cheeto over Cejudo. It seems like as a whole, Sean just draws better than Cejudo. Now, he hasn't fought in almost three years. I'm only pointing out the negatives. Outside of his credentials for a diehard, I'd be excited about that fight. But other than that, in terms of financial, I want the biggest fight, which is typically the fight that fans want to see the most. I feel it's Sean, the Sean O'Malley fight. But again, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Point the first. 
Uh, yeah, it is unfortunate that he does only get pay-per-view uh, points if he has the belt. So he is making an astute career decision with this uh, particular rant, or I don't even want to call it a rant necessarily, but with this response. Point the second, uh, is Cejudo the biggest fight potentially? Nope. Maybe, uh-uh, but nope. in terms of skill, in terms of dynamism, in terms of what the diehards would like to see, yes. In terms of chatter and hype and the ability to see what would be a sensational fight that fans are like, you know, clamoring for because these two guys are red hot. I'm not really sure. I don't really think that's uh, the case here with that. And yes, he does deserve his break. And yes, he should take some time off because you do want to let your body heal and recover. But no, I don't really know that this is at least – look, while there is a compelling case in terms of merit for Cejudo to come back as someone who never lost the belt in the cage and be able to fight for the title right off the bat, sure, I can see the argument for that. But look at the rest of this division right now, my G. Sean O'Malley just moved up to number one. Petr Jan at number two. Devashvili uh, is tied with him at number two. And Marlon Vera at number four. Uh Buddy, you know, it's kind of a crowded area. And while Dillashaw is going to be on the shelf for a little bit, the guy behind him, Corey Sandhagen. So um, I'm not really certain what the immediate foreseeable future is for these guys right now. But O'Malley fought the same night that Sterling did. They could have a similar timeline for return. That does make a whole lot of sense. And Cheeto's been waiting. He's out here in the wings, and he's been looking pretty damn good. He might be able to sneak in and take that as well. So uh, I do see from a business perspective and from a logical and reasonable uh, timeline perspective what Sterling is aiming at, especially if he does not plan to fight for the next, I don't know, six or seven months. On top of that, let me ask you this. Henry Cejudo has been talking a lot of shit, but let is he in the USADA testing pool? Did I think he, he ever did get leave? back in. I think he did get back in. I, I saw it announced. I'm almost positive that he okay. got back in. But it's been recent. He wasn't in the whole time, just so you know. Yeah, see, that's that's the point. That's the point. You can't talk about calling out all these guys and I'll beat this guy. Put me in there, chief. I'll do this and this and this. You're not in the pool, buddy. You got to sit it out. So now Cejudo, let's assume that he just jumped back into the USADA pool, I don't know, two months ago. He's still got to be in six months, right? So maybe by the beginning of next year, we can entertain the possibility of him fighting and then have him booked. But that's not really, you know, it's not anything with what Sterling wants right now. I mean, he's going to want to stay busy. And then we get to Cejudo, who went to social media and did not take this lightly. Quote, hey, Al Shitstain, get it? You, you, see what, you see what he did there? You see this wit? Just like the owner of Twitter now, the same, the Terrible. same, the same brilliant mind, the same razor sharp cerebral. Oh, God damn it. Are you really going to count your victory over the gimp as a win? Surprise, you didn't call out Oscar Pistorius afterwards. OK, hang on. I got to give it to him. That was good. That was pretty good. I know you got to work on your cardio, but don't run from me for eight months. Uh, He dropped the ball on that last part. Oh, he almost stuck the landing and he couldn't do it. He goofed. He dropped it. He didn't make it happen. Uh, we've already expanded upon why Cejudo versus Sterling is not the greatest idea, at least not the most potentially exciting fight. However, extenuating circumstances could lead to that happening because let's say that maybe O'Malley isn't ready uh, and the time that this that Sterling looks to return. Let's say, for example, Marlon Vera gets booked against somebody else or maybe Vera versus O'Malley for the title eliminator. Who knows? Sterling might be injured between now and the time he chooses to return. I have no idea because 
because we cannot predict the future. One thing I can tell you is Cejudo, not exactly the hottest ticket in town right now. And that's not saying that he's not a good fighter because I think he is absolutely elite and a phenomenal talent. But the problem is that right now, buddy, right now, I see the noise you're making, but the timing ain't really doing that great and the maths ain't math in. Steffi, talk me off this ledge. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. I mean, I agree with Aljo that Suhudo is probably not the biggest fight for him. As far as intriguing fights... I would love to see it for sure because you've got two phenomenal wrestlers that also have worked on their striking enough to actually be considered to, quote, have hands. I'm not saying they're knockout artists or anything like that, but both of them have come a long way in the striking department. As far as the promotional aspect, Aljo's right on the money. Sugar Sean is the fight to make. It's the one that's going to probably... When he goes to negotiate, maybe he gets an extra point off of this for pay-per-view points or or something along those lines. You know what I'm saying? Maybe his side letter is a little bit better to fight Sugar Sean than it would be to fight Henry. Also, I went and while you were talking and I, I looked it up just so that we could put out the right information. Henry voiced as far back as Feb- February, he voiced that he was going back into the, the testing pool in April He re-entered the testing pool. By May, he'd already been tested twice. So he is officially, like, he's so far into the testing pool, he could probably fight as early as this coming month. It's been six months. But to your point, though, Aljo makes a ton of sense. And he's right. Cheeto would be a bigger fight than Cejudo at this point. Cejudo's been gone for too long. And so much has happened in those three years in both divisions that Honestly, I don't even know if Cejudo could ever make 125 again. And I wonder if if um, his little chubby ass could make 135. Because if you look at him, he's walking pretty thick himself. So in any event, Aljo makes sense. The fight is still one that I'd like to see at some point. I just don't think that he'll be next in line. I don't even think that he commands enough of the UFC's attention for them to even worry about it. You know what I mean? And you're on mute. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta stay on brand, right? I was just about to hit the button. (laughs) I really was. I promise you. It was just happening right there. Yeah, look, would I selfishly love to see Sterling versus Cejudo? Yes, just not now. This ain't it. Not that this is not this is not the proper comeback fight to him for him. I don't think. No, I think it's a tall, tall order. I I wish he could. I wish he could make one twenty five. I'd really love to see some of the matchups. I mean, Davison Figueroa and him are just a custom made match. But I don't know if Henry could get back down to one twenty five again. Yeah, so. I doubt it. Anyways. It is time for our segment, Other Notable Moments from Combat Sports. And I love this one because it basically focuses on social media. It's a very short segment, but we got some good stuff this week. We've got a comedy bit from Paulo Costa, who, by the way, is the funniest guy on Twitter right now. Out of all the fighters, Paulo Costa is effortless. Dude is hilarious. I mean, look, I can... He's so funny that I'm actually finding it a little easier to ignore the fact that he's a big Bolsonaro supporter. But, you know, 
Let's not mix up the politics and the fandom for a second here. And let's just look at how freaking funny he is on Twitter. Now, I'm going to go out of order here, Victor, and I'm going to start with Paulo Costa because his game giveaway, his GS5, is just top-tier trolling. That was one of the funniest things I've seen on Twitter this week. You know what's funny to me is two things. I, I remember when I was living in DR and, and I went to uh, – I saw this in a newspaper actually. They weren't selling PlayStation. They were selling PolyStation. And it was one of those things that was like – it was shaped like a PlayStation, right? Because it was for confused parents who didn't know any better and kids that probably didn't know any better. And, you know, it's like, oh, it's got 300 games on it. But the like 78 of those were like just different clones of Arkanoid. You know what I mean? And it was like some bootleg Chinese uh, color-swapped Mario Brothers but it was only like 17 stages uh it, it was that and this is this is what this reminded me of and the other thing it reminded me of which is way less fortunate was the posted and deleted tweet that frankie edgar had a while back where he was selling ps5s which i mean the man was the lightweight champion of the world and he was selling ps5s on twitter yeah. good god but this this was funny. I, I'll let him have that. I'm a little confused. I don't know what happened here. I'm 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 guessing that Paolo has uh, some kind of ghostwriter or something. I refuse to accept that he's always been this funny, and we're just noticing now because this is just there's just no way to me. Either that, or he's just finally letting loose. Yeah, I mean, he's. I feel like it's him though, because when you watch his videos, he's just like it. I mean, he has good comic timing. I think we just haven't seen it because he didn't have a good grasp on English. But boy, he understands comedy very, very well. So yeah. now we're going to move into the knockout portion. And I'll tell you what, Karate Combat puts out consistently some of the best knockouts I've ever seen. And that insane knockout from Karate Combat 36, um, if you would do me a favor all our listeners and follow i'm still shannon that's how her, that's her at i'm still shannon she is like the female caposa she is percent <laughs> invested in providing videos and clips and memes and she watches from dusk till dawn really all the all the mma that is incredibly consumable she's on it she provides play-by-play -play. she's one of the very very best people on twitter creme de la creme but she has the knockout and it's just insane victor what did you think yeah, that uh, Shannon. <laughs> I I always wonder if people like her and Jolasanda and Kapos, like how do these people where what what time do they make for sleep? You know, I I don't see um I don't see Zombie Prophet doing too much these days as he used to, but I don't know how these cats just find time for R and R. But that was a hell of a knockout, man. Jesus Christ, Karate Combat still delivering on the goods with that. I know it's something that hasn't been um maybe made more of i feature some of their uh, knockouts in the weekly wtf which i swear was not an intended plug i do try to fit some of their stuff in there because i do think there's a lot worth checking out um i i don't really remember what their schedules are or anything like that but this is yet another compelling reason for you to go oh wait a minute these guys are doing something pretty refreshing and cool so um if you don't really quite have the patience for something like glory kickboxing, maybe this is more your speed. But the knockouts, when they land, they are absolutely crushing. 
This reminds me a little bit of PKA Full Contact Karate that I used to watch when I was growing up with my dad. Yeah. But just so you know, I, I was so excited in plugging Shannon that I forgot to tell you guys who they were. It was Igor de Castaneda scoring that tremendous knockout over Franklin Mina, just in uh-huh. case you guys are wondering which clip to grab because she has a lot of them. Now, yeah. our final clip. This is my favorite part of the uh, the undercard last night for Anderson Silva and Jake Paul. Uh, an 18-year-old kid named Ashton Silva, he handmade a minion costume. He wears it to the ring and lands the most devastating knockout on his opponent. And I just can't shake the vision of him walking out in his homemade minion costume. So that made this knockout extra special you know what's funny is the little dance he did as he was walking away (laughs) and i feel terrible because like damn it came at the expense of knocking out another dominican like come on baby we don't need to do this i already see enough dominicans get knocked down karate combat i'm glad we dodged that when we were talking about that this time but then he knocks him down and then he does like this skip to my loo hurdles over him (laughs) as he's on his knees and then starts moving around and dancing i mean it was a little uh was it really disrespectful? I don't know, but it was a bit of salt in the wound that I personally didn't need. Um, yeah, no, nah, that that was that was another bonkers moment, man. Only combat sports can deliver something this ridiculous, but this uh, impressive. Exactly. I mean, nothing else out there, I think, w- would would make my jaw drop <laughs> like that. Yeah. But I loved it. I thought it was the funniest thing. I mean, overall, there were some good fights this weekend. You know, Lomachenko got the win over Ortiz. Katie Taylor, uh, she went in there and dominated once again. And listen, go ahead and give Katie Taylor a fight in Croke Park. I think she could fill that motherfucker up. I want to see her out there in front of her countrymen and countrywomen. And I want to see her be able to do that before she leaves us, you know, because... Time is always ticking, and the, these these careers in combat sports are very short-lived. Uh, please make that fight. Let it happen there. I make, make it the ultimate event for 2023. I think that would be amazing. And let it be against Amanda Serrano. Let it, ha- have, let it be a rematch. I think that would be amazing, too. But give her Crow Park. I think she can do it. I mean, maybe, maybe if they did that well previously in, in their uh, their first fight, I'm sure they can do bonkers numbers, especially with the way that they performed. Um, why not, man? Sure. And, you know, Katie's got matchroom behind her because she's a matchroom fighter. So, I mean, with Eddie Hearn running the show, I mean, it, it can't go wrong. But anyways, it is time for us to shut it down. So what I want you to do is follow Victor on Twitter ultra funny dude and also you know he's got morals and stuff ethics all those good qualities you like that's this guy so check him out he's at vic m rodriguez (laughs) it's like you're setting me up on a blind date jesus christ i am i am (laughs) you know how i met how i met my my co-host mother or some shit i don't know there you go uh do follow him on instagram because he's got a great instagram too that's victor sinister rodriguez follow mookie on twitter because he is always with us in spirit he is at mookie alexander and he works for sb nation's field goals site so if you are a seattle seahawks fan do check him out there he's the managing editor 
And you can check me and Victor's workout on bloodyelbow.com. And if you listen to the pre-recorded outro, you can find where you can check out this show and every other Bloody Elbow Presents podcast as well. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.